Hello, and welcome to Marketing Blabs. This is our very first episode, and over the next six months, we're going to aim to debunk the common marketing myths within the industry. Strap in, because we're about to reveal the things that other agencies would rather you didn't know. Hello everyone, my name's Tom and I'm the creative director here at Marketing Labs and I'm going to be your host for this podcast. We're an expert digital marketing agency based in Nottinghamshire and if you're a business owner or a marketing professional looking for straightforward, non-salesy tips, then this is the podcast for you. In this episode, we're going to discuss some simple tips that business owners can do to get more conversions from their website what channels you should be focusing on and how you can understand the impact on performance. In future episodes, we're going to bring you lots of honest advice about digital marketing from the experts themselves. And speaking of experts, I've got a few with me today. First of all, I've got Matt Janaway, the CEO of Marketing Labs. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Feeling good? Ready for the first pod? Very, very excited. No pressure. Nope, ready to go. Good stuff. And I've got Josh Stapleton, our resident big brain. Quite like that title. You did tell me to say that before, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't. <know. laughs> okay. Uh, Josh is our web developer in-house. Work alongside him. And also we've got Stephen Powell to my right, who is our senior SEO strategist. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Excellent stuff. So I guess we'll get started, guys. Yeah, hopefully have some useful insights. I'd like to think so, seeing as everybody's been working in digital marketing for a while. You'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we can kick off with regards to what businesses can do better. How can business owners get the most out of the website in terms of getting conversions, visitors, and ultimately turning them into paying customers, essentially? You don't want to kick off on that? I think everyone can do better, can't mm. they? Every website can do better, and. Every website should always try their hardest to improve as well. Like no, nothing should ever be considered complete. I think that's quite important. I think one of the one of the things that I'd recommend, and we've seen this with ours, how much it helps, is having really, really good team pictures and team bios. And I don't just mean, you know, really good. I mean really good, really good team bios. Um, explain so much about who that person is. So anybody looking to use your service can almost feel like they know them. I think that should be really important. First step. A lot of people discount that straight away. Some people are quite shy about having it done as well, for yeah. some reason. Yeah. Maybe it's a confidence thing. Probably. It's quite difficult, isn't it? Well, it's putting personal information online, isn't it? Yeah. Some mm -hmm. people don't want too much online. Yeah, but it's also important. When you're in that position where you've got people looking at your website and they, they want to learn more about who you are, that's the easiest way of giving them the information, isn't it? It's not necessarily something that's really hard to do. Obviously, a lot of people might overthink it and think, oh, I've got to get a professional photographer in for this. It's always better to have professional photography taken, but you can just grab a, an iPhone and, and get some good shots yourself to put a face to a name and a bit of a description of your background and what your hobbies are, just so it gives it a bit of a personal touch. Yeah, I think sometimes you can be too polished. Less is more sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you, I mean, you look at things like stock photography, 
there's loads of studies that suggest actually stock photography is worse than sometimes no photography. But certainly amateur photography is still is still a good thing. You could take a photo on a on a phone, an iPhone or a Pixel, Stephen. Yep. <laughs> good save. <laughs> and there's all phones, even if you wanted to edit on the phone themselves, they've got good editing features. You can make it look decent. It'll look better than um, than not showing your face. That's for sure. People overuse. It's about getting a balance, ultimately. Like stock stock imagery does form a key part of any startup website because you're not going to have all the visual assets straight away. Yeah. But I think a, a big thing is like knowing where to use your stock photos and choosing specific ones. Like it's very easy to throw something that looks very generic on a site, and then someone stumbles on that site and feels like they've seen it before. Mm. But if you're if you're choosing things like well. I think you can kind of get away with it in the right yeah. places. And also where you get those stock photos from. Mm. You know, there's there's quite a lot of stock photography websites that everybody seems to be aware of, but that just means that the photos get reused more. Mm. If you can find niche stock photography websites, it's much more likely that it'll be unique. Or industry-specific, maybe. Yeah. I, I always think Adobe Stock's the best, by far. You like deposit photos. I know don't you? you do. Yeah, I like deposit photos. I prefer. Adobe stock is better. Uh, it's more expensive. It, it is, but it's better. Maybe in some ways. <laughs> in, some, in some ways, they've all got their pros and cons. Though, <clears throat> yeah, you get what you pay for with that, I guess. But I guess some good free ones are Pexels. Pexels are quite Pexels a nice is free good. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a library baked into Canva now, isn't there? Don't talk to me about Canva. We're not getting <laughs> on to that today. <laughs> there is though, on the pro account. Yeah, there's, yeah, they've got plenty. But again, the thing is, Canva as well. It's got such a big audience are we actually going to talk about canva we're going to have to aren't we yeah it's such a big audience though (laughs) but there's an argument to say that even though there's a lot of stock photos on there because the audience is so big actually they are the kind of photos that would get recycled more Mm. so they're less unique jokes aside i think canva has a place but not for me it's a good job this is being (laughs) recorded isn't it yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's official now everybody knows gets out the bag i think it, it helps build trust, ultimately, having yeah. the, those photos on your site because people will buy into the person behind the business and their experience, and ultimately that will help with conversions. Well, that's, trust is the most important signal, and there's lots of things you can be doing to increase the trust of your website. One of the things we've done recently, and it's worked really well, we've had great feedback, is video testimonials, and they're not that challenging to do. You know, we can call one of our clients and have a 15-minute conversation with them about our service, things they like, the things they didn't like, things we can improve on, performance, and we can chop that up and turn that into actually a really nice testimonial, and that's worked, that's worked well. There's no reason why any business can't do that. It's a very cost-effective way of showing what you're all about. Just showing reviews in general is a good one, but obviously yeah. having that video testimonial audio recording gives an actual person saying it rather than someone just yeah. saying, so they did so well, how do they actually know that you didn't write that. Well, anyone can write a case study, can't they? Yeah. And, and okay, you get good and bad case studies. Some of them are quite generic, follow the same process. But the best ones are the ones that are tailored around the client themselves. And what better way of doing it than having a, a video with them literally speaking about what you have to say? Mm. Adds a lot more trust, coming back to trust. It's also quite versatile. I mean, if it's not taking that much effort to actually put one of these videos together... You can chop that up and reuse it yeah. like all over your socials, etc. Yeah, and that's really important for business owners, isn't it? Founders of businesses, you know, they've got to wear a lot of hats. And if you're creating content once but using it six or seven times, you know, using it to share on your socials or using it for your marketing material. Little teasers. Teaser, exactly, yeah, it's really, really useful. 
really useful. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about with regards to building those trust signals. I guess what we've talked about is team photos, video testimonials and reviews. Is there anything in terms of channels that those businesses can be using or should be specifically focusing on initially anyway as a start? If we think startup, not well, not necessarily startup, any business really, what channels would you guys think are the, are the best for those guys to start on or think about if they've not got a marketing strategy? I mean, as somebody in SEO, it'd be wrong not to say SEO, I think. Mm. I mean, if it's clients that have got smaller budgets, you could go down the content creation route. But obviously, you've got the social media side as well. For the for again for the ones with smaller budgets, it's free to use email marketing. It's about use it, yeah, utilizing their time correctly, isn't it? This is the thing. I mean, because they have to wear a lot of hats. They're usually the ones that you know they'll organize cleaners and deal with clients or customers and process orders and pick and pack and you know they'll have lots of hats on times usually at a premium so i think the thing for me and it's a mistake i see quite a lot is businesses really need to probably figure out quite early on where their audience is and use the channels that resonate with their audiences you know there are some industries where with all the will in the world getting engagement on social might be quite challenging and then there are others where actually it's just made for social there's a sexy product it's something people care about. You naturally will get engagement. So I think for me, it depends on on the audience and channeling what you know about your audience and where they engage and putting actually most of your focus there so you don't spread yourself too thin. A great example of that is Wakey Wines on TikTok, by the way. Yeah. They, they probably didn't have a strategy behind it, but it worked for them, didn't it? Perfect time, perfect audience, yeah. perfect platform. You don't... You. I, you'd almost guarantee, wouldn't you, that they didn't have a strategy. They might have had a bit of a plan, but when you think about <clears throat> TikTok, it's it's not only for school-aged children, but, you know, there's a, there's a big part of TikTok that's about younger kids. Massive. And, you know, Wakey Wines being able to get hold of the prime stock, selling them for £20 a bottle or whatever they're selling them for, it's a match made in heaven on TikTok because that's literally where their audience is. And I don't know if it was accidental or intentional. If it was intentional, then it's it's a great move. Was but he was he big before the Prime stuff or? No, I don't think so. They they had some of those videos, didn't they? I think it went viral initially. Yeah, but it's just kicked off since the Prime thing. Really, that's where it? it's yeah. Like there's been so much demand for that, so much yeah. build up TikToks, and then they've obviously they they probably like a lot of other businesses where they just thought oh. We'll, we'll try and jump on the bandwagon a little bit because there is a, an element of that. Yep. But it's worked for them. Yeah. Yeah. And people perfect. have resonated with it, haven't they? It's, it's a perfect storm, though, because their audience is there. It was easy for them to do. Completely free marketing, completely free. And they had the product that resonated with their audience. So from that sense, that's exactly what you'd, you'd recommend any business does, is analyse where their audience is, you know, where they participate online and try to reach them through those channels. And this is a thing because, you know, it's never too early to start SEO. You don't always need an agency to start working on SEO. You can start thinking, you know, if you're an e-commerce business, make sure that every product on your website's got a good description. Make sure every category or collection has a good description. You know, there are things you can be working on where you don't necessarily need an agency. And if your product is being searched for, why wouldn't you want people to find it on Google? But it's about where your audience is you know if you've got an upcoming product that nobody's really aware of search is going to be difficult because they won't be looking for you or your product and you need to create more awareness on socials socials are also uh, 
great for local businesses as well. Instead of just national and e-commerce, uh, local businesses, you know, advertise on local pages. And it's yeah. great quick awareness, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. it is good for awareness social, but at the end of the day, they can... They can try and come up with a say they're doing a let's say a little social ads campaign and they're trying to target specific demographics. They can put that little target audience together. It might not work straight away, but at least they're testing it. And test testing's it's everything, isn't it? When it comes to digital marketing, mm. you've got to test everything. Otherwise, you just you don't really know for sure. You know, with all the experience that you might have, you know, we we do this sometimes. We've got a lot of experience in the team, and you can be fairly sure something may or may not work. But until you try it, you never really know. You've got to try these things. That's it as well. Like I think starting off, people that aren't familiar with the platform are probably going to waste a, a load of money on something that is, is worth a gamble. But yeah. yeah, might not stick. But that gives you valuable data then to go forward and know what to adjust. Absolutely. And you've got to be consistent. Mm. And, and I think I think this is the thing that... That's the biggest thing. It is. Consistency. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very <clears> easy to you know, flutter around just trying lots of different things, spreading yourself so thin, but also not really giving them your full attention for long enough. There's no marketing channel that will... Okay, you might get freak situations like the Wakey Wine one, but there's no marketing channel where there's a silver bullet. Almost every single channel and every strategy just requires lots of consistency and just sticking at it. If If you're convinced that that's where your audience is, and you have the research and the data to suggest that it is, you've got to keep going. It's not going to happen overnight. You've just got to keep going. You've got to sort of stick to your guns a little bit with it yeah. and hope the, trust the process. Yeah, and, you know, something we've been talking about this week, actually, is this idea of how growth works. If you're looking at a chart, there's an assumption that growth is just a straight line upwards. But it's very rarely like that you know you'll have maybe two or three months of good growth then a month where you'll go down a bit and then maybe another month where it goes up again it might plateau for a couple of months and then you might get another good few months when you look at a trend line you know the growth might look really good but when you're analyzing at a micro level you can get lost into into making decisions that actually aren't that useful Mm. you need more data and again this comes back to testing doesn't it the more data you have the better decisions you can make. And seasonality as well. Yeah. That's a, that plays a bit. Well, not for every business, but for a lot of e-commerce businesses, seasonality will come into play. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and you always... Oh, uh, sorry. No, no, I was going to say, you can, you, you've can you got trends as well, haven't you? You know, you might get weather. Weather's a big one if, if you know, one of our clients sells grit and grit bins. I mean, if the snow doesn't come when it's expected, you know what? No one's going to buy it. Yeah. But then you might get early snow. And all of a sudden, you've you've got an audience there. Well, there's a lot of third-party factors, isn't there? Things like COVID, things like yeah. cost of living crisis and everything else that's going on in the world. It's going to hit everybody. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it could be impossible to actually tell what's uh, led to your, uh, like your trend stagnating or going down even in some cases. But it, it could be an outside factor, like you say. Yeah. There's so many things that, that can play a part. And this is why you can't analyze it on such a short term. And it gets more challenging when you've got multiple factors at the same time. Mm. So you might have weather impacting something like grit bins, but then you might have something like COVID, for example, with fewer cars on the road or fewer car parks being used. Yeah. So when you've got a few things like that all at once, sometimes positive as well. You know, They don't just have to be things that can bring down performance. It can be things that improve performance. But when you've got a few at once, that's all the more reason why consistency is important. 
Yeah, I, th- I guess other than the organic channels such as SEO and to some degree socials, there's also Google Ads that people could think about. Yeah. That, yeah. That's its own sort of beast in itself, but it's a good way of building a strategy alongside your organic, which is long-term. Yeah. You've got your PPC or your Google Ads campaigns, which are more short-term. Not yeah. necessarily short-term. I don't think don't think that's the right... Certainly shorter than SEO, though. Yeah, 100%. A, a lot shorter than SEO. And they can be really handy for situations where you do need to buy in data. So one example there might be, for example, whether you're... If there's a keyword that requires quite a lot of effort from an organic perspective, you, know, you, you might... There are certain keywords that can take a year, two years, three years before you get some visibility. You could quite easily test those from an ads perspective to determine whether it's worth your effort. Okay, it'll cost a bit of money in the meantime, but if it works, great. If it doesn't, you've saved yourself a lot of time and a lot of marketing budget, and you can perhaps concentrate on other keywords. But also, ads is ads is still very, very good. You get Generally, you get a good return on investment on ads. It's very hard to say exactly, you know, when we look across our clients, I think the return from ads, Google ads, is probably better than social ads. I think that's because it's intent-driven. People searching are looking for something very specific, whereas if they see an ad on social media, there's no intent there. It doesn't mean they're not interested, and it doesn't mean that you know it's not the right audience, but they're not looking for you. They're not on there to <coughs> look for products. They're on there to engage with their friends and family. So generally, we do see Google ads providing a higher return than social because it's lower down the funnel. There's lots of different ways that people can utilize those platforms, but ultimately it's about understanding what audience you're uh, targeting at the end of the day. Exactly. Ads can help you determine what that audience might be. Same to some degree with social ads. What about email marketing? Yeah. I mean, it's email is one of those things that as from a marketing side has been around for a long, long time. And it's gone in fashion, out of fashion, back in fashion, out of fashion. And it can work really, really well for the right businesses. There's so much more to it than that, though. You've got to rely on how good your data is, how much your the people you're emailing care about, what you have to say. I think generally email marketing works better when it's not sales-driven, when it's about keeping in touch, about brand values, about awareness. That's not to say you shouldn't have sales email campaigns, but if you're constantly feeding your subscribers with just sales emails, chances are they won't stick around long. People are fed up of that. It starts to feel like cold calling after a while, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like magazines. You know, the perception of when you read a magazine, how how you behave when you see pages that aren't the content you're looking for and they're adverts. Generally, you skip through without even noticing who they are or what they are. You, you know, that a long, a long time back, that was quite a useful strategy for marketing. Just isn't anymore, really doesn't just doesn't work anymore it's just background noise at times isn't it yeah people's behaviors have changed haven't they you become accustomed to adver- adverts and the more you see them the less you want to see them you almost feel sold to instead of like you're getting any value from something mm. i i personally very rarely read an email that i get that i know is sent automated an automated email you can tell them a mile off yeah i'm the same do you know what <clears throat> i probably mark more emails as spam than anyone i know but at the same point I think if it's somebody I really want to hear from, I will read it. So this comes back to the data again, doesn't it? Like if you're emailing people who you, who you don't know that they they really are your core audience and how they feel about you as a brand, chances are it won't work anywhere near as well. 
you know, I, I'll get an email from, I don't know, uh, Sonos, for example, and I probably will have a look. Mm. But they don't email me every day. And when they email me, I know it's probably something that I'm interested in. Whereas when you get them from somebody you ordered from four years ago and you can barely even remember ordering from them, never mind the product, that's not going to stick around in my inbox for long. You'll probably get marked as spam. It all goes back to data again, though, doesn't it? Mm. So, like, if you can tell who your repeat customers are, then you can target them over just, like, the one-time purchaser from four years ago. How recently they purchased as well was a big thing. And I guess, like, the volume or the the amount of money that they're spending with you on a purchase. Because if they're just going for, like, a very small item that they could get anywhere, chances are they're not going to be very loyal and not interested in your email campaign. Yep. Segmentation. This is this is where segmentation comes in, isn't it? If you can segment those audiences where you can really understand who the core, you know, your brand advocates, if you like, they're so valuable to you as a brand. But the, the rest generally is just noise and it becomes about volume. You might send an email out to 10,000 people hoping that, you know, a couple of hundred click through and you might get an order or two. But then it becomes about volume. Very much a vanity thing, thinking about your subscribers and the numbers of subscribers you have as a gauge to determine whether it's useful or not. The number of subscribers you have is irrelevant. You'd rather have 100 brand advocates who receive an email from you that are engaged with you as a brand than 10,000 who don't particularly care. Mm. You, your performance would be much higher. Agree. Some good points there. Understanding your audience, targeting the right places, learning, breaking things, testing things, and being consistent. Yep. Just a quick one. At Marketing Labs, we're all about doing our bit for the environment. This is why we're proud to be partnered with Ecology. By planting trees and supporting climate projects around the world, we're helping to fund solutions to the climate crisis. If you'd like to help us in our efforts for saving the planet, then why not head over to our forest by going to ecology.com forward slash marketing labs we're back well i'm back are you back you still there i'm still Still here here. (laughs) everyone's still here (laughs) so first couple of topics there quite interesting what about impact on performance and how they can monitor that Mm. without going into too much detail matt i know you like to go into (laughs) loads of detail on analytics yeah i mean we're we're data geeks, aren't we? Mm. Uh, me and Stephen are, at least, anyway. Josh, absolutely. <laughs> Josh, is, <laughs> Josh looks a bit upset there that he's not being classed no, as a No, jo- Josh is a, a real data geek, but unfortunately he doesn't get the opportunity to look at marketing data as much as me and Stephen. Yours is more database data and... Unfortunately. Exciting back-end stuff. You make out like it's a bad thing that he's not, not being able to look at it. <laughs> like, it is a bad thing. It is. Uh, <laughs> it is for, for me. <laughs> it gives you a buzz. No, but... the. I think, so if you're analyzing how any any of these channels are performing, the first thing you need to do is make sure your Google Analytics is set up correctly. Obviously, Universal Analytics, Google Universal Analytics is dying. That'll be gone soon. So Google Analytics 4 will, will take over pretty soon. If you haven't got that set up, that needs setting up ASAP, really. We've already missed the opportunity now where you won't lose data. It's less than a year away. So if you set it up now, you won't be able to do any year-on-year comparisons at some point soon. Really? 
Yeah, so that needs, if, if, if any listeners haven't got GA4 set up, that needs setting up as soon as possible. Is it more, is it more detailed than Universal? So it's different. It, it's different because instead of using traditional visit-based analytics, it uses event-based analytics. So it requires a slightly different understanding of what your data is, how it works. But the big challenge with GA4 is when you set a GA4 account up, you literally have to build out almost every report. Universal Analytics provides you with standard reports. So for example, if you're analyzing whether Instagram's working for you or not, in Universal Analytics, on the left-hand side, you can click acquisition, you can click channels, and you can have a look. In GA4, you have to build those out. I think actually very recently they've had an acquisition report as standard, but the point remains most reports you would want to see you have to build out from scratch. So the whole process of setting up a GA4 account is actually quite labor intensive. Universal analytics, you can have set up in an hour, half an hour. GA4, you sometimes, uh, the first few we did, uh, we needed a couple of days to do it, but we can probably do them now in maybe half a day to a day. That's the first thing really, is if you want to analyze the performance of what your marketing efforts are doing, you need GA4 installed pretty quickly. I think the second tip I would give is to start understanding acquisition models. I don't want to go into these too much and they can get quite complex and maybe this could be an episode in itself at some point soon, but there are different acquisition models. And what I mean by an acquisition model is how you analyze what your visitors are doing on your website and when and where they convert and where they come from when they convert. So that conversion could be an e-commerce order, it could be a form completion, it could be a phone call, whatever it might be. It's how you analyze where that came from. So a standard analytics uses a last click attribution model. So if somebody finds you through, from Instagram and then they search you in Google and then they convert, Google generally would get the benefit of that conversion. If you have quite a long journey you know, we've got a client who's got a 30 day plus conversion lag. So their first click comes, lots of clicks happen in between. Their conversion click usually is 30 days plus after that first click. So what's important for us is we need to understand where that first click came from, because that's how the customer found them in the first place. That's for us. That's one of the most important things to know is where they were found in the first place. We still need to analyze what those middle clicks were. So we still need to know, you know, did Instagram help in the middle? Did retargeting help in the middle, you know, in, in, in between? Um, what was the final click? So knowing all of that actually can help you understand where your marketing efforts are working and where they're not working. If you analyze things from different attribution models, you can see what piece of the jigsaw each channel is having on your on the revenue you're generating. Yeah. Was that quick enough? I mean, <laughs> it, it was, I guess you could go into, that's a topic in itself, isn't it, really? It, it's actually, it's hard to touch on. Yeah. It's, it, it's the kind of topic <clears throat> that if you're given two or three minutes, yeah, you, you really have to sort of skip through some quite important things. Just scratch the surface. That's right, yeah, yeah. And it's difficult to do. I think hopefully that gives enough to go on. There's a lot more to it than that. Have you got any written content on your blog? About acquisition models. Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's a quick uh, shameless plug. Plug. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I plugged it for you. Yeah. So it's less so it's, less, it's shameless. less shameless. Yeah. <laughs> Still shameless, but it's it's there. Yeah. So on yeah on mattjanaway.co.uk, there's an entire blog category for analytics. There's guides on GA4, how to do it, how to analyze things, 
what kind of reports to set up, but also bits about acquisition models. Nice. Just as a quick one, thinking about the next episode, you see how crazy ChatGBT is getting at the minute with it's AI. Gone bonkers, hasn't it? Crazy. Pretty interesting stuff. You can do so much with it, can't you? I'm blown away with how conversational it is as a AI platform. It's yeah. crazy. And the deeper the conversation, the more it learns about what the answers should be. Yeah. Which is which is very cool. I've been playing around with AI for a few years now. Actually, speaking of my blog, a year or two ago, there's a blog post on there written by AI about why AI should be your next content writer. It shouldn't, by the way, just for everybody out there. It's pretty easy to see. Mel won't be happy with you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> is, she got a, is she there now? I was no. expecting to look over and see her staring Matt dead in the eye. <laughs> the, the thing is, it's, it's pretty easy to analyse whether AI, whether content has been written by AI. Mm. There are very easy to use tools that are completely free that when you input content into it, it'll tell you if it's been written by AI. Yeah. Now, if these tools can do it, you imagine what Google can do. And I'm or, I'm already seeing, I, I've seen loads of websites that have been using AI that are now lost lots of visibility in, in search results. So Google are on it. But it is, AI is very cool. That doesn't, I, I think using it to create content is maybe not the best way. Maybe if you use that tactic loosely and you use AI to piece together work you're doing. That's a, a brief for you, maybe. Briefs, yeah, yeah some exactly. Some of the research, take some of the, that weight off. Yeah, maybe grouping keywords together in terms of intent. So you could feed it a list of 50 keywords, for example, and just see what what the AI thinks the intent of that keyword is, which is valuable because if you know what the intent of a keyword is, you can make sure the page you're putting together will provide the answers that people are looking for when they search it. Yeah, totally but, off topic, but I used it the other day to mm. write some song lyrics for me. Song lyrics? <laughs> it was actually quite <laughs> yeah, quite good. I just put like a few bullet points in and then it wrote me verse, chorus. Do you know what this means? Brit- no, I'm not singing a song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to sing a song on the podcast. There's no way. I can see your guitar from here. Nope. I'm not <laughs> g- There's no way I'm grabbing that. Well, can you remember any of the lyric- lyrics? Um, not off the top of my what head. What about the no. title? What, what, what was it called? I think it was about like... It sounds proper cringe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like about like like life's journeys and mistakes along the way and nice. stuff like that. Very Quite deep, deep for me. Mm. Yeah, just another hit. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be in podcast ten. Po- podcast ten on the tenth. Yeah, I'll sing it live on the tenth podcast. No, <laughs> <laughs> it, so, is, it is good though. It yeah. is. I've seen a lot of uses. Unfortunately, it's exploded, hasn't it? So. There's so much content out there at the moment about AI and so much of it is noise. So much of it has advice that actually I don't think is particularly too helpful. It's very easy when technology like this that is really quite groundbreaking comes out. It's very easy to jump on the bandwagon and want to think about how it can be used for everything. But actually, I think people need to slow down a little bit and think about what the impact of, of you know whatever they're doing might have. I think it could be great for helping but not necessarily great for doing. I've seen quite a few examples where, where I saw one actually the other day on Twitter. Somebody had asked, asked it about setting up hreflang attributes for international SEO, and the output was wrong. Now, if you're trusting it blindly and you're using it to just implement that code, that could be really damaging mm. from an SEO perspective. 
you could lose a lot of visibility by just trusting it. On the um, flip side, though, it saved me a lot of time with Excel and Google Sheet formulas because you can just ask it to do something and it'll spit the formula out for oh, you. I've not tried it for formulas yet. Oh, that brilliant. sounds like a good idea. Yeah. It's very I've, clever. Yeah. I've used it a bit for, for coding specifically, like JavaScript and stuff like that. And I think one, one thing, you kind of touched on it in what you said, Matt, but I think having that understanding or that base level understanding of what you're trying to achieve yeah. is very important because while in a lot of cases it can do what you ask it straight away, there are cases where you might need to give it a bit of a helping hand. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, you know, the other day, actually, Stephen, we we used it to create... Oh, it was that keyword topicality. Yeah, we were matching. Table. We used it to fuzzy, fuzzy match similarities between old and new for a website migration, didn't we? So we were comparing an old website to a staging website with new URLs, and we inputted page titles, URLs, uh, meta descriptions and some content. I think. Oh, I was thinking the other one when we got it to topic cluster some keywords for us. That too. Yeah, we we use it for that too. So it is good for that. You know, it, it spat out a script for us that we could mm. put straight into Google Sheets, and that really helped with the migration. You you imagine you're doing a migration and there's ten thousand URLs and the URL structure changes, which by the way it should never do. Um, don't change URL structures. Yeah, Tom. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but if you are changing a URL structure, you've really got to have a plan in place. Now, imagine manually going through 10,000 URLs and figuring out what the best way of processing them is. And, yeah, AI helped us create a script that we could put into Google Sheets, and the output was about 85% accurate. Nice. So all of a sudden, there's much fewer URLs we need to go through. Yeah. So very powerful. I think we're hopefully we'll put together a we'll talk about it on yeah. on the next podcast but also I think we'll probably put together a list of ways that AI can be used for marketing. Awesome. Oh, well thank you everyone for for coming on. It's been a good first episode, I think. A nice opener, yeah. Yep, good. Yeah, yeah. So, it. I'm just going to summarize uh, in terms of what people can do and take actions away. Trust signals uh, the best way you can do this is by getting team photos on your website, video testimonials, reviews, building that trust with your audience. And then it's about understanding what audience you're going to be speaking to. So building that up on social, testing with Google ads, um, building an organic platform with SEO, and then monitoring it with analytics. We've briefly touched on GA4 and attribution acquisition models, um, these in themselves will become their own episodes. And we've briefly touched on AI as well, which in the next episode, we're, we're going to bring you the latest updates and trends to the 2023 digital marketing scene. We'll talk you through what you can expect from the year and what's to come, uh, what's going to become more prominent in the industry, and more importantly, how you can use this information to help grow your business online. So... Thank you, you three, for being here. A pleasure. Enjoyed it. Anytime. Until next time, I'm Tom. This is Marketing Blabs. Thanks for listening. Take care.